Well, the proper ecclesiology, very, very important as we think of that last request there. And as we move forward in, into, into today's sermon. But before that, we have Deuteronomy chapter 23. So let's turn there. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. He that is wounded in the stones, or hath his privy member cut off, <clears throat> shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to his tenth generation. He shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when ye came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor of Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou wast a stranger in his land. The children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation. When the host goeth forth against thine enemies, then keep thee from every wicked thing. If there be among you any man that is not clean by reason of uncleanness that chanceth him by night, then shall he, uh, <clears throat> shall he go abroad out of the camp. He shall not come within the camp. But it shall be, when evening cometh on, he shall wash himself with water, and when the sun is down, he shall come into the camp again. Thou shalt have a place also without the camp, whither thou shalt go forth abroad, and thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon. And it shall be, when thou wilt ease thyself abroad, thou shalt dig therewith, and shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy that he see no unclean thing in thee and turn away from thee. Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee. He shall dwell with thee even among you. In that place which he shall choose in one of thy gates, where it liketh him best, thou shalt not oppress him. There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore, nor the price of a dog, into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow. For even both these are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, usury of money, usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury. 
but unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all that thou settest thine hand to in the land whither thou goest to possess it. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard, then thou mayest eat grapes at thy fill at thine own pleasure, but thou shalt not put any in the vessel. When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. All right, so we have some, uh, s- some more interesting historical applications of the moral law for Israel. Uh, the first is, he that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. And then a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord to the tenth generation. And then the Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord to their tenth generation, nor forever. So three different things. It's a very interesting construction in the original language. And you will find uh, that... Uh, Comments that are made by various godly commentators can differ some on the, on the interpretation. So there are, there are a few things that I think are necessary here. The word that is used for congregation throughout this chapter, uh, the Hebrew word kahal, kahal, Q-A-H-A-L, is sometimes used for the broad assembly of the people of God. And so... The word kahal can mean in its semantic range that they'll never come into the congregation of the Israelites at all. Well, historically, we know that that was not true. Can anybody think of a Moabite that was in the congregation of the Lord? Maybe Ruth, right? Uh, The great, great, great or so grandmother of our Lord Jesus? Well, that's right. So it's not that they cannot come into the congregation of the Lord in that they cannot enter into it, you know, in its entirety. But we do have another indication here. Uh, We don't often do this in a reading, but let's turn to Isaiah 56 for a moment. I think this will shed a little bit of light on what's happening here. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant, even unto them will I give in mine house, and within my walls 
a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and take hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted on mine altar for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Strangers and eunuchs. Sound familiar? Sound like Deuteronomy 23? Is Isaiah maybe keeping that in mind as he writes, humanly speaking? Perhaps he is. So it's not that they could never come in and be accepted within the congregation. There are times in the Hebrew Bible where the word kahal is used when it would be a representative assembly like in an army sometimes an assembled army is called a kahal sometimes with regard to officers like uh, church officers assembled levites are sometimes called a kahal and there's an interesting historical application of that in the book of nehemiah you will remember that they are rebuilding the temple and they're rebuilding the other buildings that are around it And some of those other buildings were like storage buildings. They were places where the priests would store up things that would be offered in sacrifice later. Like grains and so on. And you will also remember that one of the Levites that was there had a friendship with a man that was named Tobiah. Anybody remember Tobiah in the book of Nehemiah? He's an enemy of God and an enemy of the people of God and stands in the way at every turn of them rebuilding the temple. Do you remember what Tobiah had in the supply house of God? He had his own apartment there. Remember that? Do you know what kind of a man Tobiah was? He was an Ammonite. And so when Nehemiah moves against Tobiah, it is not only because he is an enemy of the covenant, an enemy of of the Lord being an Ammonite, But he's forbidden from entering into the congregation of the Lord. That is the company of priests. He cannot pretend to be a part of that. Or pretend to be a part of the governors or rulers in Israel. Those who would be a representative assembly. So Tobiah in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, But then we have others that are able to join themselves to the Lord. And they do so how? By calling upon the name of the Lord. Taking his covenant keeping his Sabbaths and doing the things that please him. So, that's the first section there. There's one more thing I want to say on that. Uh, we mentioned Ruth earlier. If you turn to the last chapter, not, not now, but uh, another time, you turn to the last chapter of the book of Ruth, you will find in the very end of that book a very brief and circumscribed genealogy. Remember whose genealogy it is? It's David's genealogy. Why is David's genealogy mentioned there? Because of Deuteronomy chapter 23. Who was David's 10th generation grandfather? Anybody remember what his name was? Perez. Who was Perez the son of? Who was the son of Judah? And Tamar. Judah and Tamar. The word for 
that, that is translated here bastard or illegitimate child really means the, the son of an incestuous marriage like Judah and Tamar. And so David is exactly 10 generations removed from that defilement. And so now when David will, will uh, express that great desire of his to build the Lord a house and to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, is that not more sweetened than before? He is the 10th generation outside of that defilement. Okay, so that's the first part of Deuteronomy 23. Uh, we, we want also to remember the, uh, uh, the Edomite and the Egyptian. And so we have the family ties of the Edomites and the, um, if you will, hospitality of the Egyptians. Although some would not think of it as hospitality. Uh, they were enslaved in Egypt, weren't they? And they were treated roughly in Egypt, and yet they grew into a mighty nation while they were yet in Egypt. And so they are to remember them. And they uh, indeed can become those leaders in the, of, of Israel after a certain amount, three generations. All right, so now we come to verse 9. <clears throat> and in verse 9, we learn that when the army goes forth, that it goes forth not as a single man, but as a unit. This is perhaps one of the greatest teachings of this passage that's often uh, forgotten because of the curiosities of the way it's taught, right? If a man, has, if he chances uncleanness at night, right, uh, he's got to go outside the camp. When you have to, uh, as the King James verse puts it, ease yourself abroad, uh, children, that means, you know, number two, you go outside the camp outside the gate and as a part of your arsenal you have a little shovel there a little paddle a little digging tool right and you have to dig a hole and you have to put what comes out of your body in that hole and cover it over outside the camp lest listen god look upon uncleanness in the camp and depart from not thee depart from you all of you and so what do we learn there? We learn that as the people of God, our sins are not only visited upon ourselves, but by way of consequence and the Lord withdrawing his favorable presence, they may also be visited on others. This is what church discipline is about. It's, what's, it's what it's for. It's a general equity principle that comes flowing out of this passage. And we see it most specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where if we'll remember those three reasons for church discipline, the first is for the honor of Christ. The second is for the purity of the body. Because our sins may have an evil effect upon others. And then third, for the reclaiming of the offender. Some of you, I think we've had this conversation before, uh, you know, there are times when we have visitors that show up to the church and they express interest in church membership. And sometimes those visitors that express interest are a little bit surprised that we have a process that we put them through. They're surprised that we have, that, that, that we're not simply 
falling all over ourselves to get another body in the seat. Right? And I try to explain that to them in this way, and I'll explain it to you in this way also. And that is that as your session, we have as much a responsibility to you all to protect you as we do to a new member who wants to come in. And so there is some due diligence that is necessary on the part of the leadership of any particular church, the elders of any particular church that would receive a member to make sure that they're not inviting a dragon in the door. And so please forgive us sometimes if we seem a little bit reluctant or a little bit slow-footed with regard to that. We are making an endeavor to do our due diligence before the Lord and to fulfill our responsibility to him and to you all who are members here. Okay? Um, That person's salvation is not hanging in a momentary balance. We have much more confidence in the Lord than that, don't we? We can take our time. We can be patient and do the work that God has asked us to do. All right, now a highly misunderstood verse, number 15, verse verse 15. Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee. He shall dwell with thee even among you in that place which he he shall choose in one of thy gates where it liketh him best. Thou shalt not oppress him. Okay. This is a long discussion. I'll try to condense it just to, just a few lines. This, there is a there is a principle that's being taught here that only applies in a certain case. Slaves in Israel that belonged to masters that were Israelite masters, if they left their master, they were to be returned to the Israelite. These are slaves that left foreign lands and came into the land of Israel to escape. To escape their unbelieving masters in another land. And so they are not to be returned back into the hands of unbelievers. They are to be allowed to stay in Israel. This is is something that doesn't apply anymore because there's no land of Israel. There's no special land in that way. Uh, We don't worry about slavery in this country any longer since we're all slaves, right? We don't worry about that anymore. So what, what happens here in, in this instance is if you compare Scripture to Scripture and do the work of all of the, the slavery legislation that appears in the New and in the Old Testament, you must come to the conclusion that what Moses is talking about here is a slave that flees a land outside of Israel and an unbelieving master. He is not to be returned to that unbelieving situation. He can choose where he wants to live in the land of Jehovah, in Emmanuel's land. Okay? So that's what's being said there in 15 and 16. 17 and 18, uh, no whore and no sodomite, and then uh, the hire of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow. So there's, there, there are a couple of things. The reference, first of all, is to uncleanness of all sorts, especially to those abominable rites of the heathen nations around them. Folks that practiced such things were not to be a part of the congregation. We are a pure people. Um, There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons 
of Israel. Of course, we know that those crimes, we've already read that they were punishable by death. Right? So don't, don't be lenient on that. Uh, bring that to its proper end. Um, those are capital crimes because, once again, they strike against the image of God, as we said earlier today. The sodomite is you know, human intimacy without procreation. Right? Intentional uh, abominable practice in such a case. And then the harlot or the whore, uh, that's one who breaks up, right? breaks up uh, uh, marriages. We already know that those are capital crimes. So there's a reinforcement of that here in verse 17. In verse 18, the hire of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord. Uh, what we learn here by way of general equity is that there are upright ways of earning money. And then there are foul ways of earning money. And if we're doing something illegal, something sinful, and we are profiting from it, don't try to uh, sanctify that by offering a tithe of those proceeds. That is never acceptable to the Lord. So how we earn and what we give is also brought under the purview of the Lord here. And that's verse 17 and 18. Then in verse 19, we're not to lend upon usury. What is usury? It is not interest, but excessive interest. Uh, interest that is designed to injure such that the, the, the person who needed the loan will never come out from under it. That's what usury is. And also, we'll remember the other legislation here that that there are times where if our brother has no uh has nothing to give us in surety except his raiment that we return that to him so he has something to sleep in at night and so on there's there's kindness involved one to another uh the ninth commandment sorry eighth commandment in the larger catechism uh, what what are the duties required one of those duties is giving and lending freely uh, according to the necessities of others and our own ability. So that's a part of the duty that we owe one to another. All right, so then in uh, 21 uh, through the end of the chapter, I think that's pretty much the end of the chapter. Yeah, we have, okay, so first of all, we have the word on vows, uh, the third and the ninth commandment. We want to make sure we're using vows rightly. Uh, vowing is lawful as we've often seen from the scripture and yet we want to make sure to use that vow rightly and then when we vow even if it wasn't for something that was necessary when we vow it becomes necessary what has gone forth from our lips we must perform and then the end of the chapter speaks to uh, generosity and, and uh, respect for our neighbor's property First of all, generosity from our neighbor that he would allow anyone into his field uh, to, to have a grape or two or to have some, some, uh, some fruit off of his fruit tree or some, uh, some, wheat, uh, some wheat heads off of his wheat, anything like that. Those are, those are uh, good and generous things to do and something that's enjoined. However, we cannot abuse our brother's generosity by then going and harvesting his field. So you don't get to take any implements with you. Don't take a bowl to gather grapes. Don't take a bowl, a bag to gather fruit. Take what you can have while you're walking through his vineyard. 
right? And then with regard to the, uh, the wheat, do not take a tool with you. And we'll remember Matthew chapter 12, won't we? When Jesus, um, yeah, 12, when Jesus is walking through the wheat field and he and his disciples take a little bit of grain in their hands and they do a little bit of hand winnowing and they have a little snack. See, that's exactly what we're talking about here. And we don't want to become presumptuous or abusive in the use of our neighbor's property in that way. We live uh, next to each other, right? We live in proximity to one another. So there is going to be some give and take among us. That's simply assumed. And when it is assumed, it must be assumed in the right way and not presumed upon. Okay? That brings us to the end of our reading. Let's stand and continue praising God in Psalm.